welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Monday the 21st of February 2011, entitled Quench Not the Spirit, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 24. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. A song that I, I heard at a camp meeting I was at not too long ago, and if you don't mind, I'll sing that before we look at the scripture. Songwriter put it this way. He said, Many times in my childhood As I traveled along I'd get homesick The farther I go My father's arms would slip around me And gently he'd say My child, we are going home Now the twilight is fading And the day soon shall end I get weary the farther I go But Jesus, He has led me each step of the way, and now I am going home, going home, I'm going home, there is nothing to hold me here. You see, I have caught a glimpse of that heavenly land. Praise God, I am going home. It wouldn't bother me. Pastor Roger, if he came right now, it wouldn't bother me one bit. I know if a person's here on Monday night, you got to at least love God a little bit. I really mean that. If you got to love God a little bit to be here on Monday, amen. I, I will, yeah, I'll get it. But uh, I'm so thankful for the crowd that came. And, uh, you know, you're here by divine purpose tonight, and so I'm thankful that you're here. And uh, I hope you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, amen. And uh, so I want you to look at First Thessalonians. We'll look at chapter number five. We'll begin in um, we'll begin in verse number we'll begin in verse number sixteen. We'll begin in verse number sixteen. Uh, as I read this portion of scripture, I, I, my my mind goes back to a story when John the Baptist was baptizing in the River Jordan, and Jesus came, and he said, "There's one coming after me who's preferred before me, who's." Sandals, I'm not even unworthy to unlatch. I'm not even worthy to unlatch. And he was talking about the Savior. And everybody thought that John the Baptist was that, that Messiah. He was the one that was coming to, to set God's people free. And, you know, but, 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 but John made it clear. He said, listen, do not be, uh, don't, don't be misunderstood by what the, the scriptures is prophesying of. He said, I'm not that one, but I am come, uh, before him. 
and I have come to prepare the way of the Lord. And as he's, as he's speaking, Romani, Jesus Christ steps into that scene and he says, look, everybody, come here. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He went down into the river Jordan and John the Baptist baptized God. And when he came up out of the water, by the way, he was a Baptist. No, I'm just playing. It says he went down into the water. And listen, folks, when he was baptized, he came up out of the water and a dove descended from heaven and lighted upon the Savior. And it, listen, and listen, it says that God spoke from heaven and the Trinity is introduced to us all at one scene. The Father speaks from heaven, Panos, and says, This is my beloved Son, and who I am delighted. And the Spirit of God was there also. Now, folks, I'm reminded of that as I read this portion of Scripture. Now, you know what? We're all 21st century Christians. If you're in this room and you've been bought by, bought by the blood of the Lamb and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're doing your best to follow Him, listen, you are a Christian. By the way, Christian is a great noun. It's a terrible adjective. You can put Christian on the front of anything. That don't make it Christian no more. And being in a garage, coming to church makes you a Christian. Being in a garage makes you a car. You can put Christian on the front of anything. Well, I'm a Christian plumber. What's that mean? I'm a Christian electrician. Well, I hope you got Christ on your side if you're an electrician. But listen, folks, every time the word Christian is used in the Bible, it's speaking of a subject. It is, it's, not, it's not actually describing just by their very nature they were Christians first in Antioch, and the people named them that, Carl. They didn't name themselves that. It says that the people said, Pastor, they called them Christians first. You know what? There was something about them that was different. Different. Now, we're 21st century Gentiles, okay? We're 21st century Brits and Americans. But I want you, some say, no, I'm not. I'm going to get to you in a minute, Panel and, and, and Romani. And, but listen, and, and, and those in the back, uh, listen, we're all, listen, there's one race, it's called the human race. I like that. Red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in His sight. God didn't call us to go skin winning. He called us to go soul winning. Amen. And so that's what I'm thankful that the Bible tells us. But listen, this letter, by the way, chronologically, if you look at it, the epistles, it's the first one it was written, written some 15 years, maybe 15 to 18 years after the resurrection, after the death of Christ. And here it's written to a church in Thessala. You'll appreciate this, Pentecost, Thessaloniki. Now, he taught me that last year. It's not Thessalonica. It's Thessaloniki. I know that sounds real funny coming from a North Carolinian. I told him many times I didn't take Greek. It took me, Pastor Ross, uh, Russ. I didn't take it. It took me. Thought I was going to have to shoot my way out of that class. But it's written to a church. Listen, put yourself into this setting. First century Christendom. The first century church here in Thessalonica. I'm going to go ahead and say it for the sake of my English-speaking friends. The church in Thessalonica. Now, now, put yourself in this position. You're a first century New Testament believer and you're Greek. All right, now some can identify with that. But I want you to keep that in mind. Now listen, folks. Here they are, just 15 to 18 years removed 
from the resurrection just after the death of Christ. Listen, Paul comes on the scene. All right? This church has been instituted in a city that has known nothing but idolatry. They actually practiced not only paganism, but polygamy. They had more than one wife. Now, I don't know how good or bad that is. I'm not even going there, okay? But they, they practiced polygamy. They had more than one wife. And in the midst of all that, listen, Paul tells these people when he comes into their midst, he says, I want you to turn from these idols. I'm going to preach to one that you ignorantly worship. And guess what? A church is started in this city of believers by a man named Paul. And guess what? They had no prior mention of anything. They didn't even have a completed Bible. They knew nothing of what church really meant. But yet Paul writes to them from Athens. And listen, he is saying this. He says, look, I want you to turn from idols unto the living God. And guess what? Multitudes of, first century, of Greeks in that area turned to Christ and started a church. And listen, folks, it was all because of the testimony of one man. They didn't know of anything else. They, they just listened to Paul and, and trusted his word because of his character, his integrity. You know, you can go all the way back to Acts 19 and you can find where uh, Pastor Roger, he, he came into, a, into the midst of a, a man named Sceva who had sons, and they were trying to cast demons out of, out of uh, demon-possessed people, and they said, we adjure you or we command you demons to come out of the person in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Now, that's very scary territory to try to cast a demon out of somebody in somebody you don't even believe in. But they were trying to do that because they wanted to impress, and they wanted to gather, they wanted to uh, attract a gathering, a crowd of people. And do you know what the demon said? The demon said, you know, Paul, I know, I know who Paul is. He said, and, and the demon said, Jesus, I know. He said, but who are you? Who are you? Now, I'm going to ask y'all something. And I'm getting somewhere to just follow me. I'm going to give you another beatitude. Blessed is the preacher. Last night I said, blessed is the preacher whose train of thought has a caboose, right? Amen? Tonight I'm going to live by the preacher's beatitude because I look at the clock and I know what time it is, Pastor Russ. But let me say this. Blessed is a preacher who can get airborne with the shortest amount of runway. Amen? So I'm going to try to get this plane off the ground so we can go home, all right? I'm going to get to my text here in just a minute. But let me explain something, folks. Here is a man who the demons actually knew who he was. They knew him by name, Carl. You want to know why? Because they had followed him. All over, all over Southeast Asia, Southwest Asia. They had followed him all over the place. They had followed him up into Asia Minor, and they had tried to find Penal some area of his life where he had a weak link or he had a little chink in his armor, and they were going to get in there and fester it, and they followed him. But guess what? They found out there was none. You talk about having integrity. Let me ask you a question. If your name came up in hell tonight... Now you say, preacher, I don't believe in a little hell, but I'm going to tell you this, Jesus did. Right. Let me say this, if your name came up in hell tonight, I wonder what the imps of hell would be saying about you. Because guess what? As a believer, every single day, you have the enemy that bombards you and it's surrounding you, and you know what? They go back to hell and tell the devil about your testimony here on earth. 
you're known in hell for something. That's scary, isn't it? Well, that's a sobering thought. Paul, his name came up in hell all the time. And the imps said, listen, we've tried to find some area of his life, but we can't find one. I hope and pray to God that we can have that kind of influence in Birmingham, England. I hope and pray I can have that kind of influence in Regalwood, North Carolina. That the imps of hell could go back and say, Master, I tried to find an area where I could make him fall and stumble, but I could not find one. That same man started a church of first century believers in Greece. And I want you to look, listen, they had no Old Testament. They didn't know what the Old Testament... They, didn't, they had no idea, had no concept of it. They were Greek. They weren't Jewish. And here they start a church and Paul is trying to institute an organi organization with a church, a local church. And guess what? I believe in a local church. Now, I believe that anything God does through and to this, this, through this dispensation is going to be done through the local church. I believe that. And all these people turned. All, listen, they believed everything he said all the way back. I mean, he even told them this. He said, you know what? There were a lot of people that had died. I'm sure that there were loved ones. And you know what? They're asking questions. What happens? What about those that, that, that died before us? And he said, listen, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that have died, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Listen, folks, we don't have to mourn as those who have no hope when we know where a believer is going to spend eternity. Amen. Listen, as much as I know Pastor Larry and I lost a daddy, thank God you had a daddy that was in the ministry. I wish my daddy would have been a preacher. It wouldn't have taken me so long as a hard-headed knucklehead to understand the truth that Jesus died for me. But you know what? His daddy's in heaven. Mine's in heaven. But you know what? When, when I preached my daddy's funeral, I didn't sorrow as one with no hope that I didn't know what was going to happen. And I just said, you know what? When your precious mom went to heaven, you knew where she's going. You didn't have to sorrow as one with no hope. Thank God we don't have to. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. Will God bring with him? We're going to meet them too. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord will not prevent them or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, Tenica, shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Paul said, I want you to comfort one another with those words. Here's a man, listen, who loved he loved not just God, but he said the Spirit of God constrained him. The love of Christ constrained him to go. And one man made a difference in, a, in the lives of people in a little town called Thessaloniki. But that's not the, the midst of a message. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and look at verse 16. Of course, you know that a letter... This epistle was not divided into chapters and verses, okay? Chapter divisions and verse divisions aren't inspired, okay? <laughs> They're just there for our understanding. When this letter was written, it was written like, uh, Dear Church, and then he went down through the body, and at the end he said, In the grace of the Lord, uh, of the, our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. That was the sincerely Paul, okay? That was basically what he was saying. So it was written just like a letter that we would write. Well, we don't write much anymore, do we? 
Boy, we can text, though. You know, I've often wondered, if they write my obituary, who's going to write my obituary, obituary and what they going to write about me? I hope and pray that one of the biggest things on my obituary is, you know, Brian Beaver, 3483, old stage road, Regal, North Carolina, died suddenly uh, by a train accident. Now, I don't know what I'd die of, but anyway, if I died, and they'd say, you know, he was the, he was the world record holder in texting. He could text faster than anybody in the world. You know, I, as much as that's a noble thing, I, I don't want that to be the only thing that they know me by. We don't write anymore. I'll be honest with you, I like to write, but you know what? With all the technology we got today, you don't have to. You got iPhones, iPads, you can text everything, you can send an email, you can Facebook, face, Facebook, Facebook. Wow. That's all I got to say about Facebook. Fa wow. You know, everybody said, well, you can get on Facebook and you can just do as much as you want or as little as you want. That's, there's a Hebrew word for that, and all of y'all know what I'm going to say. Hogwash. You, you listen, you go on there one time and you'll be on there for two and a half hours request, friend requesting, poking at people. Hey, you want to play Farmville? No, I really don't. I love it. I'm glad that we have the access that we do. But listen, we don't write no more. But listen, Paul did. Paul wrote to the church and she said, Preacher, are you going to land this plane soon? Yes, just hold on a minute, all right? Paul wrote to the church. And listen, he goes through this whole letter, and I'm sure they stood up in a, a church service and they had one that would come like Malcolm and read the letter. You know, they always had to have somebody, a scribe, or somebody that would read the letter, and I'm sure they had one stand up and read the letter. They get to the end of it, and this is what he says, and I'm going to read it like I think Paul wrote it. Look at verse 16. It says, Rejoice evermore. Look, let me go back to verse number 12. He says, And we beseech you, brethren. Hey, we've heard that before. He wrote that at the church in Rome. He said, I beseech you. Listen, Paul could have been the best attorney that ever lived in that day. And basically what he's using is he's using, he's using terminology that an attorney, a, a district attorney or a lawyer would use. He's, he's literally going to like to a jury. Hey, I beg you. I beseech you. I'm pleading with you, brethren. Look at what he says. I beseech you, brethren. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Hey, let me tell you something. Nobody said you had to agree with everything your pastor did or says, but it did say to give him double honor. He didn't pay me to say that. I love him enough to tell you the truth and what the Scripture says. He said, you know what? You, listen, to know them which labor among you and are over you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. That doesn't mean just say you love him. Show him you love him. And be at peace among yourselves. Look at verse 14 and then he goes and says, Now we exhort you. We're warning you, brethren. Warn them that are unruly. That takes up about 89% of the church. So y'all can go ahead and laugh. It, it was funny. That's right. It, it's the truth. Most of the time, truth is funny. You comfort the feeble-minded. You support the weak and be patient toward some of the people in church. It says, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but every, ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and all men. Look at verse 16. Re rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing, church. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Quench not the Spirit! 
despise not prophecies, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace, sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. Now you say, preacher, why would you scream and act like a wild man and a vein in your head go out about a half an inch when you said verse number 19? I got a little bit of time. I'm not an English teacher. And most of y'all know that I don't speak English here because I've been here long enough that you know I speak American, okay? I probably slaughtered the English language, but I did take it in school. Twelve years. I know you're probably about to pass out because you go, ain't no way he took English twelve years and speaks like he does. You know one of the greatest things in the English language that I love about the English language? And I'm going to tell you something. The English language can be weird. It can. A little weird, you know. When you got the word red and red, they both spelled different, but they mean something different. It's just crazy, ain't it? You know, right and right, W-R-I-T-E, R-I-G-H-T. I mean, just, it's, it's, a, it's a funny language. I'm sure some might think it's harder to learn than others, but I, I'm glad I'm English speaking. Amen. And if you go to any other foreign country other than the Great British, the, the British Isles, you'll thank God that you speak English too. I'm telling you, it is difficult. I'm sure the Lord had a hundred thousand different, probably different options. I, I, I wish He would have had another option than just dispersing uh, the nations by confounding the languages, but He didn't. He used that. But do you know what, folks? In the English language, the word, most words that are imperatives have an emphasis on it. Now, I, there's one thing in the English language that we don't do. It's a no-no. It's prohibited, okay? And it's called double negatives. You know what double negatives are? Well, I ain't never. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess not. It sounds really good to us as Southern folk. Amen. But I'm telling you, it, 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 just, it just totally corrupts the English language. If, we, if I said that before the queen at the Buckingham Palace, she'd probably, and she'd probably pass out. <laughs> Double negatives are a no-no in the English language. It's kind of like a guy that stuck his head into his work, workplace one day, Steve, and he said, uh, there ain't nobody doing no work in here, nobody, are there, is there? I mean, <laughs> it's double negatives. But can I say this? There's something intriguing about the Greek language. Do you realize right here, it's, it's little, it, it, can be, it can be called, in our English language, if you was to transliterate it, it'd be called a double negative. This is basically the way it would read, and this is the way I, you can correct me later if you want to, Panos, if I'm wrong, but listen, I believe if I've studied it out correctly, this is right here in verse 19, this is what he's saying. Do not, never, quench the Spirit. Do not, never, quench the Spirit. He uses a double negative. You want to know why? It's just because as important as it is to be filled with the Spirit of God, it's just as important not to quench it. Now, for the sake of time, I got just a couple points that ain't even, they ain't even alliterated. I just wrote this down in the study today, and you know what? I'm going to be honest with y'all. We need to pray more than ever before. Bethel, listen to me. Those that are visiting, God bless you. I want you to come back the rest of the week except on Wednesday when you have your prayer meeting. But let me tell you something. 
Bethel, I want you to pray earnestly, fervently, not just for me, but for our, listen, our meeting this week, not just the rest of the week through Thursday, but Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, because I'm going to tell you right now, my wife will attest to this, I can't hardly even sleep during the night because I'm telling you, I believe the devil is trying to fight harder than he ever has this year. And it's our job as believers not to quench the Spirit. See, there's a couple things in this verse that really admonishes us to do. It, it's an admonition. You say, what's an admonition? It's kind of like a warning sign. It's kind of like telling us, this is what I want you to do. This is why I put this verse in here. Can I say this? The first admonition about this verse that I love is this, that believers do possess the Spirit. You know, there's two types, of, and I don't mean to go off on a rabbit trail, but let me just do it for a minute. You know, there's two types of groups on the face of the earth right now. There's two groups among us, and they're total extremes. The first group is this, among church, not just churches, but group of Christians and individuals. There's some that don't even mention the Spirit of God. They don't even talk about the Spirit. I mean, it's like it's, when they say Holy Ghost, they literally believe it is one. You know, I believe there's some people so scared of the Holy Spirit that if He were to come in here and go, they'd fall right over a heart attack because they hadn't really experienced what the Holy Spirit can do in and through them. But see, that's the problem. We had not been taught properly among most people, haven't been taught properly about the working and the feeling and the grieving and the quenching of the Spirit of God. The thing I love about it is this. I and you as God's people possess the Holy Spirit. We don't just get it for certain tasks like the Old Testament. We have been indwelled the day that I got saved. I got baptized by the Holy Spirit. You say, preacher, come on now. You got baptized. Yeah, I got the whole package in one day. Amen. You know, it'd be like me saying, Romani, and I, I don't have one, but it'd be like me going and saying this to you. Be careful when you walk outside tonight and don't bump upside my Bentley, all right? Just don't run your hand down the side of it. Don't, don't hurt my Bentley. It'd be crazy to say that because I don't have one. I don't, possess, I don't possess a Bentley. Now, I like my old truck at home. I do. But I don't have a Bentley. But listen, a lot of Christians treat the Holy Spirit that way. Like they don't possess it. Like he's some hocus-pocus individual that's out there. And by the way, you can't quench an it. You can only quench a he. And listen, a personal pronoun. Reminds me of a story of a lady who was in church. She was sitting there, Romani, and the pastor got going on the tribulation time and got to the millennial reign and when we come rule and reign with Christ a thousand years and she, she couldn't help it. Hannah boy, she said, Amen! Well, everybody looked around at her like she's, you know, just spoke in tongues or something. Boy, he got riled up again, Pastor, and she went, Amen! Boy, everybody looked at her. Third time, she got so stirred in her soul and her spirit, she said, Glory! One of the ushers came down and said, Ma'am, you're going to have to keep it down. You're disrupting the service. She said, Well, I've got the Holy Spirit. He said, You didn't get it here, so hush. That's the way some churches are. Let me say this, folks. There's another extreme, too. There's one group, Pastor Russ, that don't even talk about him at all. But then there's another group, but that's all they talk about. 
You can ask a multitude of people in this church about that, that God brought out of that movement. Now, you know what? I said it last night. Holiness is not a denomination. Holiness is a character trait. But can I say this, folks? There's another group, another extreme group that does all they do is mention. That's all they talk about is the Holy Spirit. Had a lady come up to me, Pentecost, and she said, you might be saved, preacher, but I'm more saved than you are. I said, well, praise the Lord. What do you mean by that? She said, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit about two months ago. I said, really? I said, so when did you get saved? She said, I got saved about 10 years ago. Now, y'all know that the Scripture teaches contrary to that. You don't get saved one day. You get the Holy Spirit the next day because guess what? If you die tonight, you're going to hell. Because the Bible says in Romans 8 9, if the, listen, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You've got to get the Holy Spirit the very day you get saved. That's what the Bible teaches. She looked at me and said, I, I, I got more of it than you got. I said, why is that? She said, Lord just allowed me to speak in tongues. I said, well, 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 what do you mean tongues? She said, well, I speak in a heavenly language. I said, well, can you tell me the syntax? Can you tell me how you diagram it? How you diagram that? She said, well, well I don't, I'm, you just should have experienced what I experienced. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, if, you, if God did baptize you in the Holy Spirit, can I ask you a question? How many people have you witnessed to in the last two weeks that you've had that baptism? And how many people led to Christ? Because can I say this? You know why the Holy Spirit was given to us? To give us boldness to go out there and talk to people who hate Him. And I said, well, if you do talk in tongues, I said, who are you talking to? Oh, I'm talking to God. I said, does God not understand English? And I want to ask you, dear folks, something. God knows my heart. And I love the Lord. I ain't perfect, but thank God I'm forgiven. But if it's a legitimate gift, why ain't I got it? I don't think a gift something you just select a little choose and pick, pick, give it whoever you want to and not to If Listen, if the Holy Spirit of God is supposed to do that through us, then why as we as God's people in this room that, don't, that, that love Him with all of our heart don't have it? By the way, you can't teach a gift. There are tapes out there, and, and not tapes, there are DVDs out there now that can teach you how to speak in tongues. You say, preacher, you wouldn't be preaching this if you was in a charismatic church. Well, number one, they wouldn't have me. Number two, if I, if I was there, I'm not going to muzzle my message by somebody's hurt little feelings. I came here to preach Jesus. I don't care whose feelings are hurt. I, I'm, not here to make, I'm not here to hurt anybody's feelings. I might make you mad, sad, or glad, or all three of them at the same time. But I'm here to preach the untainted Word of God. And the Bible tells me that, you know what it says, quench not the Spirit. Well, the, the fact of the matter is, one of the admonitions about the Spirit is this. If it can be quenched, that means, thank God, we possess it. We don't have to wait around, Carl, to get the baptism. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, chapters, uh, verses 1 through 6, there's seven ones mentioned. And do you know what he says? He said the first one he mentions is the, that we're all one in the Spirit. One in the Spirit. You say, well, preacher, what's your point tonight? My point is this. The Scripture says quench not the Spirit. The admonition is this. Every believer possesses the Spirit, but let me say this. Every believer can quench the Spirit. 
the spirit can be grieved. I've said it this way before. You can do one of three things of the Spirit of God. And I found a couple others in the Scripture just this past week. You can resist His incoming. You know the Holy Spirit of God, when somebody gets saved, the Holy Spirit draws that person to Calvary. The Holy Spirit's trying to woo that person to a saving knowledge of Christ. You can resist His incoming. As a believer, once you get saved, you can grieve His indwelling. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption. But let me say this, you can resist, you can quench His outgoing. You can quench His outgoing. There's a couple other things you can do. Hebrews 10.29 says, Is it more, Isn't it more uh, uh, judgmental for a person who has rejected the free gift of eternal life that's trodden over the blood of Christ and walked over the Son of God? It says, And do destitute to the Spirit of grace. You know what the destitute means? It means, or, or excuse me, despite the Spirit. You know what that literally means? It means to insult. It means to insult. You can insult the Spirit. You can resist the Spirit. And Jesus even preaches you could blaspheme Him. So a believer can possess the Spirit of God. He does possess the Spirit of God. A believer can quench the Spirit of God. Now, those are admonitions, but let me finish with this, folks. Here's a good English lesson for you. You've got admonitions when with those admonitions come inferences. What does this infer? What does this verse infer to us? What does it tell us? Well, it tells me this. Number one, Steve, it tells me this. It tells me that it's harmful to quench the Spirit. It's harmful to quench the Spirit. You want to know why? Because if we quench the Spirit of God, there's only one other arena we can act in, and that's the flesh. That's the flesh. Not only is it a harm to quench the Spirit of God, by the way, somebody says, well, you know what? I felt the Spirit move on me tonight. Let me tell you something about the difference between the feeling of the Spirit and the feeling of the Spirit. The feeling of the Spirit, F-E-E-L-I-N-G, the feeling of the Spirit will make you jump and shout. But the feeling of the Spirit will make you walk straight when you hit the ground. The feeling of the Spirit, listen to me, the feeling, F-E-E-L-I-N-G, will make you shout glory sometimes and give you goosebumps. But the feeling of the Spirit will allow you to go to your next door neighbor and talk about them, talk to them about Jesus Christ. That's what the difference is. You Listen, you can harm the Spirit by quenching Him. You say, what do you mean? My first pastorate, Romani, my first pastorate, I had a guy come to me and say, I got a nephew. You need to go visit him. If you don't, something bad's going to happen. You know, everybody says that. His, his, his nephew was strung out on drugs. He was an alcoholic. He had about, uh, just, I mean, his liver was about to shut down at 26 years of age. He said, would you go visit him? This is what I said, Carl. I said, yeah, I'll get to it. That's what I said. I'll never forget it. Steve, I about two weeks went by. And you know, I'll be honest with you, after that first day, I got busy, just like everybody does. If you're doing anything, you're busy. All right? And I got busy. Two weeks went by. I was at a local little pancake house, and that guy walked in. He looked at me, and he said, Preacher, and I'm going to tell you to my shame, I had to leave that place and get in my truck and weep like a baby because when he looked at me, Pastor Roger, he looked at me and he said, I hope and pray you got to go by and see my nephew. 
Said he overdosed two nights ago. I never went to see him. I never went to see him. You know what, folks? When the Spirit of God leads you to do something, you better do it. Because you don't know when you'll have another chance to do it. I don't know how long, Carl, I slept. And I'd have dreams about going to that guy and him getting saved. And you know what? That wasn't an option after the fact that he died. You can quench the Spirit of God. Let me tell you something. One of the inferences about the Spirit of God and quenching him is it's harmful. Not only to you, but it can be harmful to others. I heard a story one time about a guy who was walking down the street and he had walked by a house three days in a row going to talk to people in his community. On the fourth day, he said something told him. Hello? Something told him, Pastor, to go back, knock on that door, and ask that guy if he was going to church anywhere and see if he could just strike a conversation with this guy. He knocked on the door. As soon as he knocked on the door, the guy opened it up and he said, Where have you been? He said, What do you mean? He said, three nights ago, he said, I was down in my basement. I had a chair. My wife has left me. I've got a sick baby, and she's immoral with another man. And I said, I went downstairs last night, three nights ago, and stood on a chair with a rope around my neck, ready to take my own life. He said, three nights ago, something told me, don't do it. He said, I was sure somebody's going to come by and at least try to talk to me. And he said, I've been waiting three days for somebody to come by. Where have you been? You know what, folks? Some of us aren't afforded that privilege of having three days. Grace period. Aren't you glad that that guy listened to the Spirit of God when he said, go back? I know the guy that was standing on that chair three nights prior was thankful. It's harmful to quench the Spirit of God. But you know what it says? It says, quench not. Do not, never quench the Spirit. If it says don't do it, that means we have the potential of doing it. That means we're prone to quench the Spirit. You say, well, preacher, you ain't even, you close your Bibles. You haven't even told us what quench means. What is quench? Well, I'll give you a definition. It means to put down, to demote in importance, to snap out as a fire like to throw water on it. To, here's a good one. To squelch. To stifle. To hold under your thumb. You know what, folks? I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I am the glove. I am the glove. And he's the hand that goes in it. I've made this point before. There's an old Korean proverb that made this statement. A can half full of rock shaken... Pastor Roger makes a lot of noise. But a can full of rock shaking makes none. When the Spirit of God, when I'm so full of the Spirit of God and I'm not quenching Him, if I'm led by the Spirit of God and I'm filled with the Spirit of God, I won't quench the Spirit of God because I'm full of Him. Listen, folks, you got as much of the Holy Spirit the day you got saved as you'll ever have. You'll ever have. But we're all prone to quench it. Do you keep it under your thumb? You say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You don't say it out loud, but we do it a lot of times inside of ourselves. We say, we're going to do what we want to do, Lord. And ultimately, you know what I found out about us as human beings? Normally, we do what we want to do. If we're not led. Listen, if we're not operating in the Spirit, we're operating in one other arena, and that's the flesh. And the Bible says that there's nothing that the flesh profits. Nothing. 
You say, well, how do I not quench the Spirit? Let go. That means you're not in control. Listen, when a man is drunk, he is said to be controlled by a substance. The Bible tells me that I'm not to be drunk with wine wearing his excess, but to be filled continually, conspicuously, and contagiously with the Spirit of God. That means, Romani, when we're down at the local uh, mart that you run on Saturdays, you know what? There, there ought to be people say, you know what? I want what he's got. Because you're, 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 you're filled with the Spirit. Pastor, when we get up in the pulpits, there ought to be something about us that says, you know what? If we want our people to be on fire, they better see some in the pulpit. Down at your job, if you want people to be passionate about the Savior, you know what? You need to put a smile on your face, get a little uh, a spring in your step, and stop walking around with the molly grubs. I know y'all write that word down. Molly grubs. If you want to know how to spell it, come to me afterwards. You know what it means? It means sitting around, basically just feeling sorry for yourself. Can I say this? I've been guilty of that. I don't ever want to stand before you, dear precious people, and think, and you think that I'm some kind of super saint that descended from heaven and preaches to you for a week and then ascends back to heaven. I walk on the same earth, put my pants on, my, excuse me, trousers on, I should have learned 10 years ago not to say that. But I put my trousers on the same way that you guys do, one leg at a time. And you know what? If I'm not careful as a preacher, there's been many times in my life that I know I've done it. I have quenched the Spirit. With this, I'm done. Do you know in the Bible that the Holy Spirit of God is likened to two things? It's more than, more than two things, but primarily two things. One is a dove. The other is fire. Think about this now. Both, both. One, the dove, if you know what, you can't catch it. It's easily frightened away. You clap, it's gone. A dove is easily frightened away and fire can be easily put out. It can be easily quenched. You know what, that's what, that's what the Scriptures liken the Spirit to. And listen, the Spirit of God the third person of the Trinity is not going to do anything but come to you in a still small voice and be a perfect gentleman. And when you do wrong or you're out of line, the Spirit of God came. Jesus said, it is expedient that I go away. It is profitable that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I can't send the comforter unto you. But I will go away so you'll have another comforter. Parakletos, parakaleo, one that comes alongside and encourages. May I say this? If we're not careful as God's people, we might be, listen, we might be indwelled by the Spirit. We might be filled with the Spirit. But if we're not totally and Listen, and continuously controlled by the Spirit, we are susceptible to quench Him. The invitations hymn we're going to sing is, Where He leads me, I will follow. You know, if there's one day I wish I would have listened to that verse and heeded it, was the day that that boy overdosed on drugs, but I don't have that opportunity. 
to talk to him again. What about you? Paul told the church in Thessalonica, he said, quench not the Spirit. I ask you to search your heart, every head bowed and every eye closed. You're in the building tonight, and you'd say, preacher, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. I, I've had some times in the very near past that I have quenched God's Spirit. And I want you to pray for me. I don't want to be that one that quenches the Spirit of God. I want to be so open to His leadership. By the way, He's not an ogre. He's not a mean man in heaven. He wants to lead you and to guide you. That's what the Spirit was come for, to reprove, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What about you? Have you been totally controlled to the point to where you're not going to quench His Spirit when He speaks to you? It may be a job interview. It may be a relocation. It may be a full-time position in ministry. It may be a relationship. What about you? Have you been controlled to the point to where you haven't grieved Him and you haven't quenched Him? I wonder if you'd say, Preacher, I want you to pray for me. I don't want to, I'm not going to tell anything specific. I'm not even going to ask anything more specific but this, that you ask for prayer and you want me to pray for you. Is there anybody like that? Say, Preacher, pray for me with a hand raised. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Hands all over. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Lord, I pray right now that you would speak in a mighty way to the hearts of the people. Lord, thank you for a man by the name of Paul who told a church in Thessalonica to rejoice evermore and to pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. And then he said, please, church, can you imagine? Can you imagine, folks, these people read that over and over and over. They had no other New Testament teaching, but Paul told them, don't quench the Spirit. Guess what, folks? We've got a lot more knowledge than they've got about the Spirit's leading. Help us not to quench Him. Father, I pray for the ones that raised their hand. Lord, for the ones that are here tonight who may not have ever asked the Holy Spirit of God to come inside and the Savior to save them. I pray that they would understand today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not two weeks from now, not till they get their life cleaned up. Lord, help them to understand that they need to come right now as they are. And we'll love you and praise you for what you do because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.